It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, here we go. Four o'clock hour. Reno's in Vegas. We're steps away from the strip at the TI, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Uh, John, you had to go take care of some business. and You had to make a phone call. Was it one of those cases where you went and you're like, oh, I'm going to go in a quiet area and the mariachi band came up on you? No. Did actually, you see them? I did. I heard it. Actually, I thought I liked it. They sounded really good. I, I thought really it was a uh, speaker at first, but it's an actual band. Had some really good uh, escorts as well. Okay. Walking them around. No, really good. Really good. Good singers, too. All right, big four time. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Four at four. Number four. That's Steve Cofield. Juan, whereas Norte or JVT, Ari, Angel's here as well. This weekend is all about celebrating, right? Big party weekend. John and I started at what I thought was just going to be a casual get-together at a downtown Summerlin spot, and then I experienced something I've never seen before, John. A birthday for a dog? Yes. Yes. At a upper-end restaurant, excellent sushi. Open bar. Service like I've rarely experienced where you had a drink in your hand once it was, like, down to a third Another fresh drink was put in your hand. They literally took it from you. All for a doggy named Arthur. Seemed a bit much. It did, but you know what? Because I'm a good soul, and uh, because I was treated to an open bar and free sushi, I brought a gift. I brought a bag of dog treats from a uh, local doggy bakery. That's nice. That's right. That's real nice. And apparently, my treats were used to calm down said dog when... Oh, is that right? It looked like, you know, he probably thought we were all there to kill him or something like that. Did the dog have a special cake? It, there was a dog cake. And there was also a bowl with Fiji water in it. Yeah, I saw that. For the dog. I saw that. Uh, I think I don't know if I told you. I think I told someone else. Um, I'm very, very thrifty. I absolutely would take in the uh, Fiji water and drank it myself and been like, come on. Get the, right. dog, get the dog tap water. <laughs> He's got street cred. He doesn't have to drink the freaking Fiji. I've never seen anything like it, and I'll tell you what, when I walked around the corner, I was thinking, like, all right, you know, maybe it's, like, in some weird back room, or maybe it's something, I don't know, maybe it's, like, one of those, uh, what's the, there is a dog restaurant there, right, uh, downtown Summerlin, that whose name escapes me, so I'm thinking, like, all right, maybe it's something like that, and then when I get there, and I see the giant happy birthday balloons, and, like, the number two balloons, because I knew that Arthur was turning two, I was like, oh, boy, like, this is actually it, this is, like, an upscale spot, TV placement was rough, but... Good. That part was tough because it was a sports group and a sports betting group. Was it a sports group? I'm going to call out every single one of our contemporaries, our colleagues. Actually, I didn't know half the people there. I I, I knew a lot of people there. I was the only one watching the game. It's a good point. They were all just sitting, ignoring the TV that they couldn't see. Right. I was the only one doing his job. Kudos to you. That's right. I'm committed. That's what I do for the people. Number three. All right, do we have an issue right now with uh, Howard Stern calling out NBA players, African-American players, saying that they're anti-white celebrity? I, this is weird. So apparently he was upset on his Sirius XM show that uh, when he was at NBA games back in the day, like the players wouldn't come up to him and, and greet him. I, he talks about it on the show. Listen to what he has to say here because I, really, I, I just really didn't understand what he was mad at. 
and the black players won't come over and say hello to me, but they go over to Spike Lee or they go. They don't like, acknowledge I'll be sitting, you at all. No, I'll, like I'll be sitting next to um, Tracy Morgan uh-huh. or Chris Rock. You know, they 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 seat you where they seat you, and a lot of times when I'm there, I'm next to Tracy Morgan, who is you know so funny, and he's sitting there, and like a couple of the players will come over, they like give him that bro shake and and stuff, and I'm like, hmm. These guys should hug me, too. Okay. So, By the way, I've seen a reaction to this, and people are getting on Howard Stern. Just hearing it and knowing him, I don't believe he's actually mad. He's just pointing something out and starting a conversation. I mean, I don't even know if he's starting a conversation. It comes off across as me. as like, Howard, sorry, boot. Like, you're not as popular as you think you are. Yeah. And NBA players are a lot younger. Yeah, you're old. They, they don't know who you are. Is he over 65 now? I have no idea. Can I be completely honest with you? Yeah. Is has he is he just a radio guy? I don't know what no, he is. I don't no. know what he is. No, he's been doing uh, some of the talent shows on TV. Now like he, what? What was his rise? What was his claim to fame? Was oh, it was radio. radio. Oh, no, it was radio. He's, he's he's one of the greatest radio hosts, if not the greatest ever, in building something that uh, I mean had been done before, but he did it better in building the ensemble cast. Okay, for some reason, I thought he was like. In a wow. band at one point. No, 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 no. Uh, total radio and has done TV lately. He's 69 years old. So, yeah. I mean, that, there's there's an age gap there. Of course there is. Nobody knows who he is. So, no, I'm with you. Like, there were some people who wanted to go the serious route on this. And I think it's just, like, an old guy not understanding, like, sorry, man. Like, your time is – it's the uh, it's the meme, right? The, oh, the time is now, old man. Like, this is it. Sorry, man. Nobody knows who you are anymore. It's just the way it goes. I'll also say uh, he is a he should be a hero to all radio people for pushing the boundaries of decorum uh, versus the FCC. So we had a little dip with the Janet Jackson nonsense, yeah. But he pushed the envelope so much that it kind of set a new line out there of what we can do and things we can talk about and how we can be entertaining. That's why he went to Sirius, right? Was that part of the reason why, or was he always on Sirius? Uh, well, a lot of it. He wasn't always on Sirius, no. Um, no, that was, he got a mega deal. He was getting, right, frust- right? He was yeah, getting okay. frustrated battling it, and uh, they could be even racier on Sirius. And he basically, that's another part of his legacy, is he basically threw Sirius on his back when they were just starting off and made them legitimate and you know, made him into a big company. Man, I got to go out there one time and uh, you know check out the Sirius building out there in New York and like see all the studios and whatnot. Met Wiz Khalifa. It was great. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting. Pretty interesting spot. Yes. I would love to have a studio built around. That's my goal one day, to be the next Howard Stern. Although when I turn 70, I will not be in an instance where, you know, I'll be like, is it because I'm white and half Mexican? Is this why they don't want to talk to me? Number two. Hey, don't forget today is National Hoagie Day. We call them subs. Next week, Chicago Brewing with the point. It's going to be hosting uh, two different VGK parties. They've got the subs, the hoagies over there. Meatball sub, Philly cheesesteak. And also the Italian beef. Yeah, game three and four viewing party next Monday and Wednesday with the point. If you don't know where it is, west side of town, Fort Apache at Sahara, located in Village Square. Hmm. Back to the big four. I just got a text, by the way, about a movie I need to watch involving Howard Stern. Are we, of course, private parts. uh, Are we seeing another case here where someone is misunderstanding some humor in a tweet with the one, the only Kay Adams, who has moved her show to one of the – Sports book companies? Yeah, so this is interesting. So Kay Adams does a show now for FanDuel TV. And so I will say this. I find my – I guess what I call it my industry, that's where my main job is. The sports betting community, it, it's really interesting, right? 
And media and sports betting is kind of like this new thing that is now starting to come together. And in the sports betting space, it's all about picks and handicapping and blah, blah, blah. And people don't want to have these conversations now, Steve, about, you know, the dynamics of now having females in the space. Because that's part of the conversation. It should yeah. be, right? But everybody wants to focus on the bets and the money and everything like that. So maybe there will be so a Howard Stern of sports betting radio who can have these conversations. They're with ready to attack. I wonder how much they would attack you if you were actually Juan Juarez Norte. That's a good point. Which maybe at, uh, you should do that. So Kay I'll, Adams, I'll leave it at that. So Kay Adams gets a, 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 a parlay sent to her, right? And long story short, it's a, she has a boost now for FanDuel. Right, right. So it's Kay Adams' boost. It's Steph Curry, 25 or more points. LeBron James, 20 or more points. Anthony Davis, 10 or more rebounds. It equates to uh, even money, right. a payout. Right. So somebody tweets it at her, you know, and she retweets it, and she's like, hey, it's just an innocuous comment. Like, oh, I didn't realize the game was at 10 Eastern. So somebody responds to her and says, Ew, three legs for even money. So we're talking about the parlay. Right. And they're like hard pass. To which she quote tweets and says, hey, Murph, it's plus 100. Read a book. Oh, yeah. well, was she joking? So here's the thing. Okay, I right. don't take in a lot of Kay Adams content. Right. But I have seen enough to where I think that this is her humor. I'll give you an example. There was a video of her getting sprayed in the face, I think, with beer. And she retweeted it. And she goes, usually you have to pay a subscription fee for this. You know what I mean? Like that's that's a good joke. Yeah, yeah. Like that's solid. Throw you understand little, that? Yeah, throw a little browser. Right. Browsers, like yeah. she she's done stuff like this before. I don't know what to, you're talking about. To where I think I think she understands like the, the humor in this, but of course, she's attractive woman now in sports betting space, and the gatekeepers come out and they're like, and this is the best part, Steve. It's not plus one hundred. It's even money. That's how you say it. And it's like, are you serious? Yeah. This is really what we're getting Ooh, up that, in arms that, about. That's social media. That's incredible. There's a good chance that's also an incel and uh, someone who complains about uh, dating apps. Right. You know? and, and the best part is because this is how social media works. Like, somebody asks, like, somebody says, like, I don't think they understand that she's joking. And she's like, they don't. And they're like, no, you don't. You don't know what it is. And it's like, even if she thought, like, even yeah. if that's the way she wanted to say it, what's the what's the harm in it? What's the right. point? Right. So, of course, on, on uh, today I filled in on a numbers game with Gail Alexander. Every time even money came up, I referred to it as plus 100. Good. You should just do it all the time. What's the difference? Just to annoy people. Like, what's the point? This is really what we're getting mad about. Like, I understand. There's a lot of guys out there who this was their space for a while, right. and they see people coming in, and you get all your back up because you're like, I've been the smartest here the whole time. And it's like, chill, dude. All right? Little things like this. You don't have to call them pretty faces and show what your true colors are here. Just understand that sports betting's growing. And you're going to have more faces and more bodies in the market. Number one. So, as uh, Juan mentioned, you work for VSIN. You're very much in the betting space. So, I really want your take on the Alabama baseball betting deal here where the coach got fired. What do you think happened? So, we get more details on this that the better was in contact with him when he went to go make the bets uh, on LSU. And we know now that the information was that their starting pitcher, their ace, was going to get scratched due to lower back tightness, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I want to say, because it doesn't seem like there's been no connection of this was nefarious, right? That Bohannon wanted a chunk of the action so that he could get it back. The way I'm taking it, and again, this is just speculation on my part, Guy is a friend because he's a former baseball coach, right, in a high school baseball coach that was making the bets. Guy is a friend of Bohannon, talking with him while he's at the, you know, around the park. Bohannon tells him, yeah, you know, our guy's probably got some back tightness and he's not going to play today. Oh, that hasn't been out yet. Let me go make these bets. Makes bets, gets caught, asks what happened, says he talked to Bohannon, Bohannon gets fired. 
So I, I feel like that's probably what happened because this is like a one-off instance and we have no indication that he actually wanted a big part of this in terms of, again, asking for money back. So I think this is what happened. But I think the bigger story here, Steve, is the system worked. Yeah. Right? You immediately see way over the limit baseball bets on college baseball. It gets flagged. Within hours and days, you have everything getting taken down. And within less than a week, the person that was at the crux of this, somebody who was connected to the information, is out of a job. That's the system working. You know, I threw this out yesterday. Is 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 this almost like an SEC mindset? Like we've gotten away with anything we want for years? Like did this guy have any clue what he was really doing? This Bohannon? Because I'll, I'll tell you at Alabama right now, you've got, yeah, the uh, Miller case with the gun stuff and a murder in the basketball program. I don't know. People didn't publicize this one, but there was a basketball transfer commit up until two weeks ago. He was going to join the Alabama program, and then he got caught in Tuscaloosa with some sort of gun possession. Uh, they've got lawsuits going on. They've got, I think, a deputy athletic, or, uh, athletic director just got uh, popped on a DV charge. What's going on with the culture at Alabama? Or maybe this has always been going on, and it's just it's a run of actually finding out right now. I mean, it, it could be. I just I don't know if that's really worth it for you if you're looking at a guy like oh, Bohannon, no, no. right? Like if you're talking about like he reportedly made 275k. Oh a year. no, that's why he's giving out information probably on bets that but, couldn't be worth more than like eight, ten, fifteen thousand dollars. Right, and I think they're even get it down. It was reported that it was 15k bets, but like here's the thing: like really quickly, like when you're looking at it from Bohannon's perspective, like that's why I think it was kind of innocuous. You you just report to your buddy, hey, like my guy's out, and he screws you over, makes the bets. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Let's talk a little football. As uh, you know, I'm kind of sad about this conversation because um, I really think uh, Luis Perez could have been a longtime Viper, but uh, it wasn't right for him. He moved on, and looky here. Now he's in the championship game. We had talked to Luis when he uh, was first handed to the Vipers. We talked a lot of bowling back then, so I might want to get into that again. But uh, John is here. It's Cofield, and uh, Luis Perez is in, now a quarterback with Arlington. How are you, sir? Hey, how are you? We're good. We're good. Um, our producer was very worried on uh, Cinco de Mayo about playing music. Now he's disappointed that I brought it up on the air. We can all enjoy Cinco de Mayo, right? Oh, of course. Of course. Right, John? <laughs> I mean, look, I'm very consistent with this when yes. it comes to holidays. You know this. Yeah. Luis, I'm very anti unless the holiday has anything to do with you. Don't celebrate it. No. Like, are you right? <laughs> are, you, are you serious? You have, like, you know, I got the Lotus folks got mad at me one day, Luis, because one time I walked in on Veterans Day and I just made the joke on air. Ah, I didn't realize we had so many veterans in the building. You know, a lot yeah, of the time a little different. Right. You know, a lot yeah, of the time off the day. OK. Yeah. You know, you take the day off for no reason. And we all know what this is. It is it is corporations making up a holiday so that we'll all go buy a bunch of beer. And drink alcohol. Well, it brings us down, <laughs> doesn't it? Doesn't it? It brings us down. Oh, that's funny. Come on, man. Real uh, Me- I think the Real Mexican Independence Day is September 16th, if I remember correctly. That's a good point, too. Uh, all right. First thing I want to get into, Luis, is you are a quarterback for a while, but the way they structure the uh, the XFL, I feel like you weren't here very often. Do you, did you even get to enjoy the city when you were just kind of in and out for the games? Uh, I did. I did quite a bit. I, I'm actually so I, I only live about three and a half hours from Vegas, so I go quite a bit. So I, I know you know Vegas pretty well. Um, I got some cousins that live out there. So no, it's good been good though. I, I really enjoyed my time there, and shoot, I really want to go back soon. All right, tell us what the experience was like on the the football team because you guys had pretty good defense. The offense 
kind of sputtered at times. You played well, but tell us about the experience on you know trying to build a winner in Vegas, and it, it really didn't come together. Yeah, I think it was it was one of those situations where we were trying to mesh everything together, right? There were so many different systems, so many different you know different styles of, of coaching on the staff that we just you know that was one of the hardest things to put together as a player to kind of get on the same page with everything. But once we got rolling, though, we were we were you know catching steam. We were doing pretty well. All right, how surprised were you to uh, to be on the move to go to Arlington? Yeah, I was shocked, you know, when I, when I got the call to go out there. Um, but, hey, everything happens for a reason, um, and I'm excited to be in Arlington playing for an attempt to, uh, next weekend. Yeah. Uh, what was the transition like in terms of, you know, offense corner, head coach, and the offense you were running? Yeah, they were uh, similar offenses, um, different terminology, but similar schemes. So that's one of the things that was good. You know, it was pretty easy to transition. And, again, I've been in a bunch of different systems um, where they call, you know, a bunch of different things, different things. So it was easy to come in and learn the system. And, you know, hey, remember, I remembered when, you know, we used to run this concept here, but we called it a different name. And at the end of the day, it's all football. So that was good. How would you grade your play? Oh, well, I, I feel like I played fairly well. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is I just want to keep on improving, right? Each league that I've played in, I just want to improve each and every week or each and every year that I've played. So, yeah, I think I've done that. What do you think you need to improve on off of what you've seen this season? Um, I think the biggest thing right now, i got to get comfortable in the system and with the players, especially being Arlington, you know, only being here. I think I'm going on my fifth week. Uh, the biggest thing is getting used to the players, getting used to the system. And once you, once you master the system as a quarterback – I can start playing free, and sky's the limit from there. Luis Perez is with us, former Viper quarterback, now with Arlington in the championship game on May 13th. That's uh, 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. I guess, what, 6 Central, so we got to get all the times out there. Um, differences between – I mean, I, I consider – well, you know, I'll just ask. Um, differences between Rod Woodson and Stoops? Um, they're both phenomenal head coaches. Um they, they're both pretty similar. They're, they're, they're both kind of uh, very smart. They know how to lead men. Um, you know, obviously, what, Rod Woodson's a Hall of Fame player, um, but Coach Stoops is a Hall of Fame coach, right? So I think you kind of see – you can see both sides of it, right? You can see why Coach Woodson was a Hall of Fame player with the way he talks, the way he speaks. When we, You know, I used to always go to him and – Talk about you know different coverages. What are you looking here and this and that? And then you can also see Coach Stoops, right? The way he commands and everything. You can tell you know he's won a national championship as a head coach. So, Luis, I need to ask you something that's non-football related. <laughs> this, is the, this is the angle we love. So one much. of my uh, one of my wife's favorite hobbies. She loves to go out and go bowling, and I think it's some of the most boring. Like, I think it's the most boring thing in the world. I I don't like it. Now, I, I feel like it's different when you play it at a high level as opposed to going out and play like neon bowling for five consecutive games. Because by the time you get to like the fourth game, I think you're kind of done at that point. But you're a big bowler, correct? Yeah, correct. So can you? Um, you help me out with my game here a little bit. I'm kind of a I'm kind of a straight line guy, but I, I kind of dip like it's a little hard to the right. I can't really get a spin on it. You got any tips for me? Yeah, so this is what I would tell you. It, it, your game is going to stay at a certain place if you throw it straight, right? You have to have a nice curve to hit the one three pin to be able to get the ball through all ten pins, right? So if you throw it straight, it's going to be hard to score high. The biggest thing is the angles of where the ball hits the pocket. That's the biggest thing. So I, I suggest you. You start learning how to spin the ball a little bit. <laughs> okay, in learning how to do that, though, 
is the easiest way when you start, when you want to try to develop a hook, is it actually easier to go with thumb in or just two fingers? Because I, I have a hook, and I developed it you know, recently in the last couple of years. I haven't bowled in a while, but, but I do two fingers. But is that, is that a bad way to start? No, that's actually the best way to start. So you got to start with two fingers, and you got to feel the ball rolling off your hand with two fingers without the thumb, right? Now, when you start, it's going to be hard to kind of control the ball when the ball falls out. So as you start getting more comfortable, then you start putting your thumb in, and your thumb kind of becomes your placement of where the ball is, right? So then as you're coming and you're getting ready to spin the ball when, you, when your thumb's inside, you pull your thumb out, and as the ball's rolling off of your hand, it just becomes like you had two fingers in it, Right. So, but now your thumb is the one placing it where exactly where you want it to be placed. If that yeah. makes sense. Do you ever do you throw straight on particular spares? Yeah. So anytime yeah. it's a single pin spare, I usually try to throw it straight at it. Really? Yeah. Okay. Then so the oil pattern doesn't matter anymore, right? Then it's just doesn't matter how much oil, where it's at, it doesn't matter. When you grab a plastic ball and you just throw it straight at the pin, you know that's it. You don't have to worry about spinning it too much, hitting a dry spot, and then it overhooks or hitting a, a heavily oiled spot and it skids past it. You just grab a plastic ball and throw right at it. Love the bowling talk. Love it. Um, the game's <laughs> coming up in uh, in a couple of weeks now. Really, not a couple of weeks. Next week, uh, five thirteen. Uh, Arlington against DC. So you're on the Arlington side now. This is Luis Perez, former quarterback of the Vipers. Why has DC been so good this year? Yeah, I think they're coached very well and they have some great players. Um, that's the biggest thing. And uh, yeah, Coach Williams does a great job on defense, and then Coach Kai is on offense, and obviously Coach Barlow, you know, is the head of everything. But they do a great job. Um, I have some buddies on the team that, you know, tell me their structure and, and kind of how, how they run things, and they do a really good job, you know, and it shows in their play and obviously in their record. So it's a nice job. So where are you, and maybe you don't want to reveal yet, you must have gotten calls after the way you've played to get you to a another NFL training camp. I mean, do you feel like you're much closer now with the play and what you've shown? I think hopefully hopefully after this game, hopefully I'll get an opportunity to go back to the NFL. But right now, to be honest, I'm focused on winning this championship, and then you know we'll see what comes after that. Can I ask you one more question about the NFL? I know your focus is on the XFL, but when – because you're going to go to a camp. I'm pretty confident on that. When you go to a camp, based on your experience of the past of going to camps, like do you – do you have a better feel for what they're looking for, what you need to do, what you be, what you kind of need to be honed in on? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is mastering a system, right? I think last year in the USFL, after I signed to the Rams, it was, it was a little bit tough, the timetable, because, you know, you get there right at training camp, and you got to learn a playbook, and then you have to play right away. So now the timing of the XFL, you get to go, go through phase one, phase two, you get to go through OTAs, mini camp, training camp, you get to go through all that to learn the system, and as a quarterback, that's the most important. So I think I'll have a better chance here uh, if I do get an opportunity. Well, we appreciate the time today. We're rooting for you. You're always a viper for us, and I uh, hope you win the championship. And we'd love to talk to you uh, when things are going you know, uh, real well in, in July into August. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. There he is. Luis Perez, Chula Vista guy, and a, du- a dude who has had time in NFL camps in the past. With the Eagles. Eagles was really short. It was actually in the spring, but uh, with the Rams. And, you know, based on the way he's played, think about, you know, what he's done. There are former NFL quarterbacks in the XFL. And here, you know, we had one in, uh, you know, in, in Brett Hundley, and Luis was the better guy. I think he's only 27. And like you said, his story is awesome because 
you know, I don't want to get all cheesy like, you know, continue to dream. But you should because we started bowling when he was like 9 or 10 years old. By the time he was a teen, he was actually, you know, a pretty, you know, highly ranked amateur in his age group. He gets to high school. He plays some quarterback, but the high school he's at is playing the wing tee, and they're like, no quarterback, tight end. And he basically just kind of faded at the end of his high school career, then decided to pick it back up by going to Juco in Chula Vista, eventually landed at, what, Texas A&M Commerce and put up monster numbers, and he's still going at it. And that's why, and we said it before the season and the lead-up to the season, that's why the XFL is so cool. While a lot of people kind of poo-poo what's going on, there needs to be minor leagues that where guys can play a lot more football and be seen by football people. So I'm, I'm amazed, and he's on the younger side. I'm amazed when guys are still working at it. Either they made it or they haven't made it or they're trying to get back, you know, between the ages of 27 and 32. I, these, these are the dudes that I think I'm always enamored with as well because I'll be honest with you, I don't think I would have the mental fortitude no. to just keep trying to work to that top level. I mean, I guess to a certain extent to bring it home, like Giannis Antetokounmpo does. We're talking about, like, radio media. Like, I, would, I always aspire to get higher, so maybe it's kind of the same deal. But I'm at least being able to, you know, make a living, support my family doing this. It's harder to do that when you're playing on a minor league level. That's it's incredible dedication. We're hanging out today on uh, Cinco de Mayo at Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. They're celebrating down here. Just had the mariachi band come through. But they got fish and chips every Friday. It's fish and chips plus a beer for 18 bucks. You get to keep the glass, beer, battered cod, fries, and then your choice of a Dos Equis or a Heineken at the Golden Circle. I don't know if you got a chance to read it, but I was really hoping you were going to read the New York Post columnist. He's been there for like 30 years. Phil Mushnick, who uh, you know I grew up around, and he basically has written the same column for 40 years. And he's oh, a great yeah. example of um, what I say about people who listen to Sports Talk Radio and fans of sports. As they get older, um, they can still gripe about the current generation. Even though they griped about the previous generation, they kind of forget. Like, I know Phil Mushnick pissed and moaned about athletes, decorum, uh, the way they played the game, strategies in the 80s and 90s. And then it's like, they, they're not doing it like they used to in 2023. Right. Like, what are you referring to? Ty Cobb? Like, mm-hmm. You weren't alive. Right. So I know. And again, because sometimes older folks, and I think Mushnick is over 70 years old, I know, almost can virtually guarantee he probably hasn't seen what Wander Franco did the other day, which that is like the violation of baseball rules, people, their heads will explode. They so can I tell you, this is why, and again, you know me, I'm a big Stephen A. Smith fan. The other day when I was on the air and I looked down at the TV and first takes on, and the lower third says, should we get after Wander Franco for should flipping we? the like?" <laughs> and it's like, oh, my goodness. Like, this is such a good, like, old school, like, topic. I don't know how it is. Yeah. Like, but Wander Franco you know, fields a ball. He's got plenty of time. He flips it, catches it, and then delivers it to first for an out. Like, there's nothing wrong. Nothing happened. He got the guy beat by a mile. It's fun. You want to do it sometimes, right? If you got a wide open dunk, give me some flair. Can't have that, though. It's baseball. Button it up. Let's go. Get serious. I know who Mushnick is. I read part of the column. Yeah. And, like, you know, the griping and moaning. It literally, I don't know how it is, like, fun to read his columns. It's literally just a thousand words of moaning yeah. and complaining. That's the way a lot of people are. And now, unfortunately, as we get older, a lot of us become that. I man, I hope I don't. I'm really hoping I don't. Where you just you're frustrated all the time with sports, and it's like, no, just appreciate things change. There's progress. The games are played differently. The athletes now are 
are probably better than they've ever been. Like, but but it's also it's the fragility of of getting older. Like you can't do what you used to do. You're not as sharp as you used to be. Yep. So you kind of lash out, and I'm not. Believe me, I I I think that way. I'll say it every once in a while on the air. I'm like, uh, I'm I'm probably I probably have a better idea and concept of how to do a sports talk radio show. But some of the stuff I used to do from a sports standpoint, my memory, I don't have that anymore. And every once in a while, I'll be like, damn, I forgot. You know, like, I don't have it like I used to. Yeah, but your response isn't get angry about it, right? Like, people, you're right. People right, try get to, try to get try to get better in other areas. People get angry at things that they don't understand, and that's yeah. like the same thing with analytics. And like this column, like I was reading through it, <laughs> he's mad at the Yankees. This is we've been over this analytics thing in baseball about it's it's more effective with starters to just get them out there for five, six, seven innings, and then move to the fresh arm who can probably throw ninety eight, ninety nine, or hundred miles an hour. Right. And when it doesn't work out, right? When the reliever comes in and blows it, and it happened the other day with the Yankees and Domingo Herman, then you're like, oh, there it is! Like, yeah, but you don't point out, like, with the Rays, the Rays are the best team in baseball. That's how they operate. Yep. So where is all the, well, the Rays do this, and it works. He actually went back to the Rays pulling out Blake Snell in a playoff game that he was hot as a pistol. Wasn't like two years ago? Yeah, that, ago? but that's a reference point. Yeah, but since then, Phil, they're awesome! They're like they're literally they're the best team in baseball because of the system they use, and they don't let starters go. And in that case, it was seventy-three pitches. If if they know the guy, you know it's again it's numbers, and if you do things a hundred times and whatever it works out ninety-six times, but you're going to harp on one of the four times, that's kind of absurd. I, look, you know me. I hate playing the result, and that's exactly what this is. Is the result was bad, so now the process is bad. And if Wander Franco had flipped the ball in the air and then dropped it. Yep. Or was late throwing or, you know, freaking bounced at the first. Be like, ah! But it worked. So how much can you flip out? No, no, no. See, I think because, like, that I think he would get crap for it, and he deservedly so, right, if it was tighter play and didn't. What the what this would be is he flips the ball but delivers it perfectly, but his first baseman doesn't catch it, and they're like, you threw him up! You can't do it! <laughs> <laughs> this hour is brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers Offices in Reno and Henderson in Las Vegas. Call from anywhere in Nevada, 766-1400. Bring in Stanford Route, the former Raider, big sports fan, former NFL player. So we're going to talk some football here as well. Stanford, how you doing? He'll be here in a second, I think. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. I was just watching, and I made the comment to you, the pregame for the Celtics and the Sixers. And Joel Embiid was getting his MVP award. Is that what that was? Yeah. And his kid ran out there. He started crying. Good yep. moment. Good yeah. moment. And I said to you, I'm like, my God, Philadelphia loves Joel Embiid. Every once in a while, I'll listen to Philly Sports Talk Radio because I follow a lot of sports talk stations up on uh, Twitter, right? So I'll see the teases. And I was listening to the other day uh, to, I think it was WIP, and, I mean, they were just going off in a positive way on Embiid. And you see the reaction they freaking love that guy. Um, in spite of in spite of the fact that they could get after him because he's off injured. Stanford Rout is with us. Stanford, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good, pretty good. Happy Friday to you fellas. So we were just talking about Joel Embiid and the fact that the Sixers fans love him. And I just you're a basketball viewer. I, I want to see what your opinion is of Embiid from this standpoint that man, I was watching some of the highlights the other night and he was able to play like twenty seven minutes coming back from the injury, and it's just it always amazes me the, the size of the athletes, and they're always big guys, 
But a guy like Embiid, who's seven foot two eighty five, and now can face the basket, hit jumpers, pump and go, like the mobility in the lane, uh, breakouts, the ability to dunk. It's just I, we we are constantly battling what we feel is like an older group of people who are like, oh, the players today, nothing special. I'm like, do you watch Joel Embiid? <laughs> I think that uh, the biggest difference in today's game versus 10, 20, 30 years ago is the skill of these guys, where now every big guy you pretty much see that's coming over from overseas, getting drafted, or should I say that's not American-born, they all can shoot. They have great skill. They got the footwork. They're able to move like a guard. They have the the dribbling like a guard. And when you look at Nikola Jokic, when you look at Joker, and you see his skill set, you just marvel at it. So, yeah, Joel Embiid is just another one of those guys. Obviously, he's much deserving of the MVP award. I was just watching him accept it. On, uh, on everyone's behalf right there at the start of the, the Celt- tonight's Celtic Sixers game. So to me, it's just the skill set that you're seeing with everybody in the NBA, but especially the bigs that are being born overseas. It's just nothing short of just me and Marcus. Stanford, how can we don't get as much generation comparison in football as we do in like sports like baseball and specifically basketball more? Go ahead. Say that one more time. Like why don't we get those constant generation comparisons in football as much as we do at a sport like basketball? Is it just because the game is so different? I, I feel like we do this all the time in basketball, but not so much in football. Well, the thing is, like, I think that we, I think we do that a lot in football. When you when you look at today's game, it's all about the spread offense. It's all about getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands uh, very quickly. It's all about that spread offense, the RPO, the read option, all of it matriculating up to the NFL so a lot of these younger quarterbacks are able to be successful at the highest level when you look at the Colin Kaepernick's of the world when you look at the the Cam Newton's of the world when you look at I can go all the way down the list with several quarterbacks Baker Mayfield's and that's what now allows younger quarterbacks to be able to come into the NFL and play at a high level early on because you don't have to read defenses in their traditional sense that Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Drew Brees and Peyton Manning were, were able to do so. I think that it's just as much of a generational difference that you see in today's game as why you're able to see these younger quarterbacks be successful versus years ago or generations ago where guys would go and sit on the bench for, for one, two, three years before they get their start. I guess we just never got like during Darrell Reeves' career, right? You never got like, Night Train Lane did it better. You know what I mean? But like, we, <laughs> but we get that so nah, much you know, with these guys. You know what's funny, though? You, you, you're you younger, but we kind of did uh, with running backs in the 90s. Okay. Um, you, would, you would hear, and even before that, like Franco Harris had to hear about Jim Brown, I swear to God, his entire career. And I remember that as a kid, I'm like, who was this Jim Brown? How freaking good was he? He was really good. But it was always like, and Jim Brown was willing to kind of, every once in a while, he take a, a shot at, at Franco Harris. So, I don't know. I, I kind of get it. And it's, uh, I mean, I think there's another element to the NBA getting it more than anywhere else, but we don't have to get into a whole racial discussion here. Um, all right, Stanford. <laughs> I, I think that is a lot of the motivation. But um, last week you were on right after the Michael Mayer pick. Um, I've thought about it more. I think Michael Mayer can be excellent. I think he can be excellent from the get-go. So we can get into Mayer, but I saw that you guys put out another Believe in Raiders podcast, and the clip that you guys put out is, hey, Stanford is not happy with this Raiders draft overall. So give me some of the issues and, and why you weren't happy with the overall draft of the Raiders. 
I just felt like they should have attacked the defense side of the ball a lot more than they did. But like I said, I'm not in that draft war room. I'm not in that front office. Maybe they have their own reasons as to why they didn't. But when you look at how last year the Las Vegas Raiders gave up five double-digit leads in the second half, which is an, an NFL record of blowing the lead, blowing a double-digit lead that many times in one season – that, to me, just signifies that you have to make sure that you attack that part of the team, whether it's in free agency. Oh, yeah, by the way, they didn't do that two months ago. And attacking in the draft was paramount because that's obviously the weaker side of the football field, or should I say of the football team right now. And to me, they could have done more even though maybe in their own way they feel like they did. But we all know that this was not exactly a very deep draft when it came to the secondary or the linebackers once you leave the guys in the trenches or the edge rushers. So when you, uh, when you look at Tyree Wilson, what's the expectation for him in a rookie year at a position that's it's kind of crowded, right? I think that he's going to definitely have to have a good year. I think to be able to live up to that billing, I'm looking for Tyree Wilson to come in and at least give, let's say, about five and a half, six, maybe seven, eight sacks. Be that guy that everybody can see that, okay, we now have our generational bookend defensive ends. We got Max Crosby. We already know about that. Can we have a Tyree Wilson that we know that we can pencil in, I'm sorry, staple in as that bookend? We know Chandler Jones still has a little bit left in the tank, but he does not have a lot left in the tank. So Tyree Wilson being taken number seven overall in the 2023 draft, he is going to be somebody that this team is going to look to be able to lean upon going forward because they didn't do anything in the back end as far as making a big splash. They did not make a big free agent signing as far as a corner or a safety. So you know what? What is the best? What is the one best friend that a defensive back can have? That is a pass rush. Tyree Wilson, we just called your name. You were next up to the plate. You got to deliver. Stanford out with us, a former NFL player. Uh, so Stanford, I'm I'm curious because I wanted to build on this a little bit more. I thought, like, back in the day, and this is back in my day, 2007, one of the cool things I like watching about those Giants team that won those Super Bowls is those deep defensive lines, right? And they would line up defensive ends inside. Like, you can get pretty exotic when you have a lot of defensive oh, yeah, ends well, then, like this, right? Oh, yeah, that package. Yep. So, you could, yeah, would you I, expect to see this from the Raiders? Because I would think you want to get pretty exotic with this. It would be a problem for a lot of teams. I mean, you definitely can. If you have if you have the bodies, if you have the depth, and you can obviously have a package where you literally have four rushers, four pass rushers yep. in the game. Like you had O.C. Humanure, you had Michael Strahan, you had Justin Tuck, you had so many guys that the New York Giants were able to throw at you. And I think that maybe that just might be it. Maybe that might be the Raiders' philosophy of, you know what, we want to try to build that type of roster where we have many guys that we can throw at you because we can all see that they're attempting to make this New England West as far as the New England Patriots type of regime, the way that you're constructing the team. And that is two Super Bowls that Tom Brady could easily have as nine right now if he would have been able to beat the New York Giants. So if there's anybody that understands and can appreciate the New York Giants with that NASCAR pass rush, it would be somebody that was a part of the New England regime suffering two losses in the course of four years like they did in 2007 and 2011. It's a Friday. ESPN Radio, ESPN Las Vegas. We're hanging out at the TI inside the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. A few more things on the draft for the Raiders. Uh, Adam Hill went real strong. I'm not going to say anti what they did, but he when he looked at the group, of players they picked, he actually thought they were drafting for 
a lot of the future. Can you see that with Michael Mayer behind, potentially behind two experienced tight ends? Tyree Wilson may not be healthy if this foot injury is serious, may not be able to play right away. I thought the drafting of Trey Walker was kind of weird when they've already got a couple of smaller receivers, uh, and you know they add to the mix DeAndre Carter and Phil Dorsett. What do you think of that? Uh, that they were drafting on guys that who who can work into being good NFL players, and some are a little you know some are a little dinged up to start their career. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm right there with you. I did not see anybody that I just automatically know is going to be a bona fide star, a bona fide stud in the NFL. Now, yes, I think Mayer. I think he's going to be a contributor. I think he's going to be able to make some plays for the Las Vegas Raiders. There's no doubt about that. Tyree Wilson, we can clearly see that he has the ability. He has the motor. He has the, the ability to be able to get to the quarterback off the edge. Is it going to translate into Saturday, into Sunday afternoons versus Saturday afternoons with the Texas Tech Red Raiders? I'm not sure, but we know he has the ability. And that right there, because I do not see anybody that's leaping off the screen that I know He's going to be a stud. We can count on him. That's why I'm not even sure that they were necessarily drafting for the future because it leaves so many question marks left in a lot of people's mind within Raider Nation. It is something that, just like I said in the podcast, we're just going to have to take the wait-and-see approach. Stanford Routes with us. Uh, you want to build on the drafting of the wide receiver, Trey Walker, when you've already got you know, 5'9", Hunter Renfro. You signed DeAndre Carter. What do you think the logic was on that one? I just think that maybe they were just thinking, let's go ahead and draft the best player available that's remaining in the draft or whoever we have highest rated as the best player available. And when you look at Jimmy G, obviously we're hoping that he stays healthy for a full 17 games, even though that's something that does not appear likely to happen based on the last several years of his career. Maybe they just simply want to have the mindset of, well, you can never have too many good corners. You can never have too many good receivers. So I'm just going to go ahead and assume the best that maybe they know something that we don't know. But like I said, I'm right there with you, Steve, that it makes you scratch your head at a lot of the picks that you saw last week. Stanford, last one. I want to lean on your college football expertise because you went to Houston. You're working with the Cougars program and you know how the transfer portal works and, you know, they're, there are a lot of times when coaches are like, okay, you know, and they're nice about it, but with kids, they're like, it's time to move on. You, know, you kind of you want to turn over your roster a little bit. So I want your opinion of what Deion Sanders is trying to do by basically pushing out about 40-plus guys. Um, I think turning over a roster that quickly is incredibly dangerous. Uh, one, a lot of the players are landing at other good schools, and because I think you guys got, I think you guys got one of the Colorado transfers at, at Houston. But what do you think about? Turning over the roster is one thing, but doing it to the tune of like 40 players and then having enough players to field the team the next year. But more importantly, I think practice is gigantic, and I don't think people realize like how important the twos and the threes are to run a real practice. Oh, yeah, it's definitely important to run real practice just because you got to have that depth. you got to have those camp bodies. you got to have those spring football bodies. And I think that whenever you look at the totality of turning over your roster, it was something that it had to be done. Now, a lot of people have had their qualms and they've had their, their discussions about Deion Sanders with his approach to doing it. But you got to go ahead and remember this. This team had one, this team had one victory last year, Colorado. So clearly the, the talent level was not up to snuff. You got to find a way to change that. This is college football. This is this is the NFL where you can just simply go to the draft. You can go to free agency and sign this guy, draft that guy. So Deion right. Sanders, he had to figure out a way. Okay, 
I got to turn over this roster. There are certain guys that I know that they're not going to play here. And the one thing that I can tell you as a former player, the one thing that you respect, you may not like it, but you respect a coach being honest with you. So if he knows that you're not going to be a part of the team, he knows that you're not going to be a part of the rotation or somebody who's playing a great amount this coming fall, I'd much rather you tell me that in the spring. That way I can go ahead and try to match on with a different university. I can enter the transfer portal because I don't want to be a part of this team where I'm not thought of as somebody who's going to be a main cog in the corner or the defensive back rotation 